What's up, everyone? My name is Justin Torosian, and I'm happy to bring you the Sabbath School commentary for this week. And uh, the title of our lesson is The Law as Teacher. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your law that is a reflection to us of your character of love. We pray that as we study and uh, as we uh, glean from this time together truths and gems from your holy word, we pray that you'd use us uh, to share these beautiful truths with others and uh, that as we dialogue and discuss with others this Sabbath about um, the beauty of your law as a teacher for us, that you would speak to us and speak through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, how I love your law. Psalm 119 verse 97 reads, The words of David who loved God with all his heart, he said, Oh, how I love your law. There's actually a connection between love and God's law. And some people say, well, you know, what is this all about God's law? Um, why don't we talk about God's love or the grace of Christ? Well, they're actually one and the same. And just before we launch into this lesson, I want to kind of just briefly address this uh, false dichotomy or this false contradiction that people often feel is the case between God's grace and, uh, and his law or his love and his law. The love of God and the law of God are intimately connected in Scripture. In uh, Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked uh, by a teacher of the law, uh, what is the most, what is the greatest of all the commandments? He quoted Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, where he's, where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he said, this is the greatest commandment. And then he said, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said these two commandments on these two hang the entire law and the prophets. In other words, all of the Old Testament that was, um, yeah, all of the principles of the Old Testament hang upon these two principles. The Ten Commandments can be broken down into two parts. The first four commandments that are on the first tablet of stone are summarized as our love for God. That's why we um, are told to have no other gods before him, to not take his name in vain, to keep the fourth commandment and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and to not worship idols. That's the second commandment. So if we love God with all of our heart, soul and strength, we won't do any of those four things. Likewise, the last six commandments all have to do with uh, loving our fellow men. If you love someone, you'll, if you love your parents, you'll honor them, right? That's the fifth commandment. The sixth commandment, if you love people, you won't kill, you won't steal, you won't lie to them, you won't commit adultery, you won't covet their stuff. Um, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we'll fulfill the last six commandments. And so Jesus basically says, love the Lord your God, that covers the first four Love your neighbor as yourself. That covers the last six. And so he summarized beautifully in his answer, all 10 commandments in these two statements. Then if we go together to Romans chapter 13, verses eight and not eight and 10, eight through 10, really, uh, we'll just read verses eight and 10. Uh, Paul distills it down to just that one word that Jesus repeated in those two most important commandments. Uh, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he quotes the last six commandments. And then in verse 10 of Romans 13, he says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Here's the beautiful connection between God's love and his law. When we love him with all our hearts, 
we will keep his law. We won't break those four, first four commandments because we'll love him supremely. We won't want to break his heart of love. And secondly, if I, we love our neighbors as ourselves, we will honor the last six. Just one more connection between God's love and his law, and then we'll move on to some of the powerful points that the lesson brings out this week. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives an expose explaining the final events that would lead up to his second coming and also uh, lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And the one, the leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 was a small kind of a microcosmic picture of a microcosm picture of what would happen leading up until the end of time. And so Jesus uh, in this message or this, these words to the disciples, he says in Matthew 24, verse 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. There's the connection between law and love. Jesus says lawlessness will abound. Lots of law breaking will abound. People will be breaking God's law and therefore the love of many will grow cold. So no law, no love. But God's love leads to the keeping of God's law and it's for the betterment of everyone. So we see here in scripture that there is a beautiful connection between the love of God and the law of God. All right, now that we've laid that foundation and, and showed how there is no contradiction between God's law and God's love, uh, we're going to launch into some powerful points that the lesson brings out this week. And to start, what does it mean to fear God? This is a command that we find over and over in Scripture. And interestingly enough, in Jesus, uh, excuse me, in Moses' last words uh, to Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 31, starting in verse 10, um, it says this, and at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, that is the year of Jubilee, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So now Moses gives these instructions that, that um, annually at this Feast of Tabernacles, what should happen is um, the law of God should be read in the hearing of all, young and old, uh, children and parents, everyone should hear the law of God read. And he says the result of this is so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. Now, the word fear doesn't have positive connotations for us in our day and age. But this word here in the Hebrew has a positive connotation. Now, um, fear doesn't only mean a reverential respect and awe for God, but in a sense, the word fear there means a fear of God. Not to be afraid of him, but to have a healthy recognition that he is an omnipotent, all-powerful being. I mean, not long before this, the children of Israel were um, 
actually I believe it was 40 years before this, the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai and God was this flaming fire on the top of the mountain, burning the mountain. He was speaking to them the Ten Commandments with this thunderous trumpet-like voice and it shook them to their core. And they actually said, Moses, you go speak to God. If we keep hearing his voice, we will die. So this amazing power of a God who split the Red Sea so wide that about two to three million Israelites could cross over in one night. That's about eight kilometers wide. It would have had to have been for them to walk 5,000 abreast to cross over on the dry ground at the bottom of the Red Sea in a single night. These amazing acts that were done instilled this sense of, of reverential fear and awe for a God who was all powerful, who was omnipotent. And um, this doesn't negate and it doesn't contradict loving God. They're actually one and the same. They are connected. The more that we recognize God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, so to speak, the more we will come to love him when we understand him through the lenses of his holy word, the Bible. And I love how the lesson brings out that we could possibly compare this to the way that a child loves and fears a good father. You know, a father who reveals his love and care by showing that he says what he means and he means what he says. And um, a father like this, if you do wrong, you will indeed suffer the consequences of that wrongdoing. And so, yes, we can love and fear God at the same time. And this balance, I mean, this is called by theologians often the transcendence and the imminence of God. Um, God's closeness to us, his imminence, and his transcendence, his distance from us. God is an omnipotent king. You know, his word has creative power. He is in the heavens ruling the universe. There's this distant aspect of God, this power of an all-powerful king. Um, an all-knowing king. But at the same time, there's this closeness because he's described as our father. And so Jesus actually beautifully encapsulates this in the Lord's Prayer where he tells us to, to pray, our father who art in heaven. Our father, God, he's close to us, but he's in heaven. He's distant. He's ruling over the universe, but he's as close as closer than the most loving father that we can imagine. I remember seeing t-shirts and hats a number of years back that uh, had a picture of Jesus, and I think he had a, a hat on or, you know, uh, ghetto clothes, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. And, um, you know, there's this, uh, there's this aspect of our relationship with Christ, that he is our best friend. He is our elder brother, as the Bible says. Um, he's our, but he's also our creator. He's also our king. And uh, we should honor him as that while conversing with him and sharing, unburdening our hearts to him as our very best friend. Moving on to Tuesday. The children of Israel were marching toward the promised land and God spoke to Joshua, Moses' replacement, uh, the one who was going to lead the way into the promised land. And he said to him in Joshua 1 verses 7 and 8, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to one, do not turn from it uh, to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous 
and then you will have good success. Interesting here, God connects the obedience of his law and following in his ways uh, to prosperity and to success. Now, the way that success is often measured in our world today um, is not an adequate measure in the eyes of heaven. I mean, sometimes uh, worldly accolades, innovation, creativity, self-reliance, things that come, uh, financial blessings that may come at work by compromising principle, these kinds of things happen, unfortunately, in this broken, sinful world that we are in. So we're not talking about that kind of prosperity. But God promises Joshua prosperity for Israel if they keep his law, if they walk in his ways, uh, because his law uh, is given for our own good. In fact, Moses, uh, the Lord spoke to him, and in Deuteronomy 6.24, it says this, Moses writes, And the Lord commanded us to obey all these statutes, that's these laws, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. So here we have this picture that the Bible paints, this promise that God gives, that if we uh, follow in his ways and we lovingly serve him, that our lives will be blessed and our lives will be um, a, a greater, we'll have a greater level of freedom and success. James 1 verse 25 calls God's law the perfect law of liberty. But you know, in our fallen human condition, we often view God's law instead of something that guarantees our freedom as something that restricts our freedom. It's kind of like there's this massive fence in front of us with a razor wire at the top and it's got a big sign on it that says God's law. And it's like we look to the other side and through our broken lenses of sin, our eyes see green and life and people having a wonderful time on the other side of this fence. And we think, man, this the, the law, like it's keeping me locked in. It's keeping me stuck in this prison. I need to get out of here. And we break God's laws, like we jump over that fence, but whether it's right away for some or whether it's down the line and it's not for months down the line, eventually the realization will come on the other side. I've not broken out of a prison. I've broken into a prison. I'm trapped. The law of God is protecting us from breaking into the prison house of sin. When we break God's law, uh, and that's what the Bible describes as sin in uh, 1 John 3 verse 4, it says, Sin is the breaking of the law, transgression of the law. So when we break God's law, thinking that it will mean our happiness, we find whether immediately or whether some don't realize it for some months or even years, that the things that we are doing that we thought would make us happy, that would bring us joy, are actually leaving us broken and empty. And we are trapped in this prison house of sin. Now, the only way to to be able to get out uh, is not to keep the law in our own human strength, not at all. Our only salvation from sin, our only forgiveness and pardon from the past comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one that can give us peace. He's the one that can cleanse us from our sins. He's the one that can enable us to be walking in holiness and living a life, serving him, loving him, and being a blessing to humanity. We are saved not by our own works, not at all. We are saved by grace through faith. And um, Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, not of works, uh, lest anyone should be able to boast. 
And there it is. We've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the gift of God. But verse 9 goes on to say, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as a natural result of being saved by grace through faith, as a natural result of loving God and being grateful to him for the salvation that he's worked in our lives, naturally, we will want to keep his law because love leads to loving obedience to the one who has saved us. God's law is not just some arbitrary command because God said so, but God's commands, as we heard in Deuteronomy 6.24, they're for our good always. Having said that and talked about being saved by grace through faith, every human being who has ever lived has fallen and tripped up and sinned, broken God's law in some way or another. Only Christ was able to live a holy and a perfect life. And it wasn't by his, his divinity. He didn't use his divine power and his divine strength and ability in any way for himself. He only ever used that for the help of others. Some people don't think that Jesus could have been tempted uh, or could have sinned because he was you know, fully divine and fully human. But we know that he could have because he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And um, Jesus was tempted. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And because Jesus perfectly kept the law of God, because he kept the law of his father uh, perfectly, he can accredit his perfect life to us as if we have never sinned. Now, that's just the first half of the gospel, and that is the source of our salvation completely. But as a result, as the natural overflow of being in a saving relationship with Jesus, he doesn't only give us pardon from the past, but he gives us power in the present to live a holy life. He lives out his life within us. He transforms us. We find that the habits that once bound us, the chains of addiction maybe that, that kept us back, that held us down, they weaken and they fall off as Christ breaks us free, free to walk in obedience to God's law, not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved by his grace and because of his love toward us. I love how John the Beloved said it in 1 John 2 verse 6. He said, he who says he abides in him, that is abides in Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Before, God told Moses to write down his law so that it might be a witness to Israel. But now, Christ was the living embodiment of this witness to his disciples, the apostles, to sinners, and to saints. And now, rather than a set of just external rules to follow, we actually have an example in Jesus Christ who lived out his perfect life in perfect obedience to the law of God. Friends, this beautiful uh, psalm of David, Psalm 40, verse 8, was a messianic psalm. The Holy Spirit was speaking it because it would be the words of Jesus' life. I delight to do your will, O my God. Yea, your law is within my heart. Friends, do you want the law of God to be written on your heart today? The law of perfect love, love to him and love to your neighbor? That's my desire. And I invite you to make that your prayer as well. Father in heaven, 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for your law. We thank you so much for Jesus and for him living out the perfect life that he may accredit it to us and enable us to live a holy life for you. We give ourselves to you afresh and we thank you so much. Fill us with your spirit. May we reflect your character, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.